0: We take up our Bibles this evening and turn to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 22, Revelation 22, and so the young families in this church know I don't typically go to the older families in the church because you're not having babies, which is a good thing, but there is that sense where when I go, I love to, to look up what names mean. And so typically I'll bring a reading that first visit, uh, this time with my wife who I've learned not to take on new baby visits because she might not be very ready to hand over a baby. And so I will keep track of that in the future. But, but looking at the name Brooklyn and we take that thought right back to maybe New York City and so Brooklyn and, or Small Creek or Gentle Creek in that way. But, but really we get to play Dutch a little bit today and say here is from Brooklyn within the Netherlands, which means broken land. And so with that then comes an understanding, not that that's what you're going to go, well, your name means broken land, but but we get to explain not only what we see in that name, but also here in Revelation 22 to say, what does God do about that? And so for New Yorkers, they had to build a bunch of bridges so that they could get to all of the dry places. But the Lord is going to do something far better, more awesome. And so we don't always think about it, that we, we get into the day by day, and, and we're so stuck and focused on, this isn't right, or I don't like this, or I, I'm, I'm bristling about any number of things, preferences and the like, and, and we lose sight of where we're going. It's like kids complaining about the, the trip somewhere, and you're just like, but this is where we're going. I mean, could you imagine, hey, we're going to go to Disney World, and your kids complain the whole 18-hour drive there, and maybe that's happened to you, but... But you sit there and say, where are we going? Do we, do we remember what we're doing here? Do we remember what God's working? And so it's a beautiful name to be able to speak that and say, yeah, what we see is broken. But God has promised to do something about it. And as much as we were the ones who did that, he sent his son and he, he's going to make it all new. He's going to fix it. And it's going to be awesome. And so that reminder to our children, and so not just to one who has that name, but to all of them to say, this is where we're going, and this is what these promises mean, and this is what mom and dad are walking in, and this is what we want you to walk into. And so that's why we're going to read from Revelation 22. Obviously, there's a ton of revelation that gets loaded here into the end, ultimately a lot of prophecy too. But what we see is the beauty then of that broken land restored. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. The grass withers, the flower fades, but this word of the Lord, it stands forever. Let's ask his blessing in it in prayer. Father, we ask that you would work in your word tonight, that you would work in me, Father, the ability to be able to speak it in a way empowered by your Holy Spirit that would change hearts and change lives. And so, Father, remove any bitterness of heart any struggle that we're having to receive it. Father, any foolishness or arrogance by way of that word, believing that we already know what it has to say or that we're not gonna hear any good thing tonight. Father, what we hear is the wonder of what you will do, what you will work in your son, the fullness of it, and you are worthy of all the praise for it. And so, Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our spirit be pleasing in your sight. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. What children of God called to be saints, I can almost imagine those first settlers coming to this country, landing there in New York after some time and wondering, what is this place that we've come to? All of this water, all of these rivers, all of this brokenness, this is the land of opportunity that we've come to. And so looking at New York City, that which was called New Amsterdam, and seeing what do we do about this? What do we do about a land that is broken? How do we make it livable? And so for them, as I've mentioned, they built bridges. This is how we get from one place to another. Certainly we see that kind of bridge building all over the place. The Dutch certainly enough saying, hey, we need more land here. Let's just fill it in with dirt and figure out how to make sure it can stay dry, right? There's an industry in it. There's a wonder. We're going to take that which is broken and we're going to fix it. And so as we look at our world today, we see a world, we see a land, we see people that are broken. We see it all around us. In fact, there are those who would even question. I remember those questions even when Lisa and I had our first child. Why would you ever bring children into this kind of world? A radically different world than 20 years ago now, but, but nonetheless, why? How, how can you do that? Look at the pollution. Look at the future. Look at the people. Look at the hopelessness. Look, All of these things that get thrown at us, the world is broken. Do you feel the world is broken, sings Andrew Peterson? We do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? Do you wish that you could see it all made new? We do. And so that brokenness becomes the opportunity for us, even in the hope that we have to say, yes, we will have children, and they will have children. And we will continue to do that as long as the Lord tarries his judgment because he calls us to be faithful and to depend on him. And yes, this world is broken and we long for the ending, but, but to live as Christ. And so we will seek in whatever way reformation and restoration and reclamation. We will give ourselves to that. But yet we know no matter what we do, we can't fix all of it. As good as we might think, there are certain things of it, and in it, it's still broken. Is all creation groaning? Is a new creation coming? Is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst? Is it good that we remind ourselves of this? You see, it is. It is. And it is because we focus so much on on that which is broken and not right. And we stand in the narthex and we complain about it. Can you imagine the, the, the state of this church, of the church? Can you look at politics? Do you see it? broken relationships, broken. We look at extended family relationships, broken. We see a world that hates God and its word, it's broken. And so we groan. And yet perhaps too quickly, and I even find myself doing the same thing, Where instead of saying, he's worthy and I have hope in him, I want to run quickly to Maranatha, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Can you just do this now? Why do we have to walk through this now and see this now and do this now and be this now? But he has a plan in those things too. And so it brings us back, not to the book of Revelation, but really it brings us back to the book of Genesis. Genesis. That here in Revelation 22 comes the fixing of, of all of that brokenness at the beginning. The creation groans for restoration. Man groans in longing for the same because we broke it. And the land is broken. And there's curse everywhere. And so we feel, in the right way, a longing for home. That there would be in us no satisfaction in in the broken things of this life that, that can't change us and can't do anything for us and that we can't take with us. It gives us a longing for home and a longing for better and a longing to wake up each day with that hope of saying, I will be faithful to you knowing that you are continuing to do your work and you preserve things and we are salt and light in the right way. But there's coming a day where I'm not going to have to be salty anymore. And there's going to be a day where I don't have to be the light because Jesus will be all the light. And so we live in this tension. And so as we raise up our children in this world, Brooklyn's going to see brokenness, and she'll see sin, and she'll see hurt, and she'll be hurt. And as much as parents, we want to be able to shield our children from all of that brokenness, we can't. They're going to see it. They're going to know it. But we have a great promise. That's what we hear tonight. We have a great promise, even one signified in baptism, that not only will God redeem His chosen from all their sins, which is great and glorious in and of itself, but He will also be faithful to all of His promises, including restoration. He will take what is broken and He will make it whole, He will take that which is broken. And he will make all things new. And so our lives are to be lived, directed to that end. Doing all that we can to restore and fix and reclaim. We don't redeem anything, Christ does. But nonetheless, we give ourselves to make, taking every thought captive of living in a kingdom where Christ says, "As Lord, now all of it is mine but we're directed to that end. We're given longing for eternity that we would make the most of those moments. That in the lives of our children, of whom we don't know how long we have them, we don't know how long we have, of continuing to be faithful to the gospel of Christ. So as parents, David and Miriam, you've been entrusted with the responsibility to lead Brooklyn in that. This is where we're going. This is where God's people are headed. And we long for you to come with us. And you don't get to save her. We don't get to save our kids. But we bring them before that gospel. The only thing that can save and make us new. And restore us in true righteousness and holiness. To a Lord and Savior who makes a new creation. Even Jesus Christ. And so in hope. The testimony of this baptism or the testimony of the gospel. In hope we share the truth of the promise of broken land being fully restored in life forevermore. And that's the picture we see in Revelation 22. And so we see in that day four things. All about life. He's working life. The fullness of what that is. And so there we will see the river of life. The tree of life the throne of life, and the light of life. Because at the beginning was life. In the beginning, God created. He speaks all things into being. That life who is Christ, the power of Christ, that spirit who brings all of those things visible and invisible, all of it into being. And from that life, from that place, from that source, now comes a water. That God from the beginning not only makes a garden, but he provides for it in Genesis 2. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. And so water comes to symbolize life. Here is that promise. We need to have it. Not only do we need to drink it and, and have thirst quenched, but we need to be washed. We need to be clean. But then came sin and there's the expulsion from the land and there's brokenness and yet in God's grace he doesn't stop up the rivers but he continues to give them though there's the brokenness of drought and lean years and a number of other curses upon the water but yet that necessity of water the necessity of a life that flows from the Lord now is painted throughout all of the scriptures And yet here the angel says, see it. See all of it in one place. See all of it in one river. There's no division anymore. There's nothing to separate it. There's nothing to break it. Verse 1, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. Not just a trickle, not a crick or creek, not a brook, not a stream. Here is the river of the water of life. The Lord sends that forth. This is for the blessing of my people. This is what has been given for them that they might be saved, that they might drink of it and never thirst again. Here is my abundant provision for my people. One brightest crystal. Never an impurity. Never wondering if that's okay to drink bright as crystal, full of light and full of life, flowing from the source of every blessing, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. That we look and we say sometimes we might question God's provision for us, or why are these things broken, or why is there lack? There won't be any in that day. No, it flows from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flows from and according to the Father's will. This is exactly what you need, and not just for that moment that you see it, but for eternity. This is mine for you, according to my rule. I reign over it, and I will provide for you, according to his plan. This is what's been prepared for you, according to his justice. I have washed you. I have done all things to draw you near to myself, flowing from a throne, a throne where there would have been judgment, where there would have been a lamb who was slain, and a river pouring forth from that so that we could be washed clean and find life in the water he provides. And so it's not just a promise now of that longing of, of looking to, to broken land in the Old Testament and saying, where is the water? That's why Israel is always moving, always needing this thing from the Lord, and so he leads them. Now he's saying, it's always here. You will never see that brokenness again the joy of the fulfillment of the prophecy zechariah 14:8 on that day living water shall flow out of jerusalem half of them to the eastern sea and half of them to the western sea it shall continue in summer as in winter the lord provides a better promise one stream one river Ezekiel 47, then he brought me back to the door of the temple and behold, water was issuing from behold the threshold of the temple toward the east for the temple faced east. The water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold to the south of the altar. Then he brought me out by way of the north gate and led me around to the outside of the outer gate toward the east and behold, the water was trickling out on the south side. Here is the abundance of his blessing now in the presence of his people. Through the middle of the street of the city. That there it flowed from Eden into the garden. And now here is a river in the midst of the city that waters a new garden. And it flows to make it all lush and all green. And the Lord will remain forever in her midst. If your Bibles are open, look back to Revelation 21. Because here's this picture now of what he makes, and he says, I'm going to care for it. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven, and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, look at this, see this. The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be them as their God, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away, and he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. And the wonder of that river is that it doesn't flow out of the city. There will be no other division. There's no other place that it needs to go. Because all the redeemed are already found there. This is for you. This is what I've given for you. Even sacramental language, as it were, this is what I have given for you that you might enjoy an eternity of fellowship with me before the throne. So I ask you tonight, will you be found there? Because Jesus, too, speaks of that water that He is that water, He is that life there in the midst of the city. But what has He said? Are we calling our children to that river to drink deeply of that which has been provided? Jesus has the interaction with a woman, right? Where they start to quibble about what mountain will it be on and, and all of this, and, and where are you going to get water, and, and what, why don't you have something to draw it with? John 4, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. We find ourselves having a place within that river to be in Christ, to never be thirsty again because he has granted us that life in his presence, that life in him. Will you be found there? Are we asking our children, have you drunk deeply of Christ? Have you been washed in his blood? Have you claimed the promises that have been placed upon you? There is a river of life. And there will also be a tree of life. Because also, verse 2b, on the other side of the river, the tree of life. And so now this vision that John has given begins to to build itself like a stack of Legos. Here's the rest. And here's all of it in real time. Because in the beginning, there was a tree too. A tree of life there in the midst of the garden. Genesis 2, verse 9. And out of the ground, the Lord made to spring up, interesting language, every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This was always his way. Here is this tree. Here will be that reference to Christ, even there in your midst, to take from him and eat and never die, to have life. And yet Adam and Eve, seduced by the serpent, have no desire for that tree, but they have every desire for the tree that God said, no. And in eating that tree comes curse. And so fruit from the beginning that was deigned to be good, was now cursed. Cursed the moment they put their lips to it and ate. Then the Lord God said, Genesis three twenty two, Behold the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. He drove out the man at the east of the Garden of Eden and placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. And we look at this scene and we hurt because we're like, what's left? Man is only cursed. Dying you will die. Did you hear it? To guard the way to the tree of life not to remove it, not to take away access forever. He still provides hope for his people. And so I have to guard this, because in sin you may not take of this, but in being washed in that river, in being blessed in the tree of life, you may eat and live and never die. And so there is the tree of life, With its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. It's another picture just like the river of abundance. Here is the life that is found in him. Here is the blessing that is found. Life comes from God. He nourishes it. He cares for it in every season. And we know that now in Christ. But how much more in that last day, in that eternity to come, yielding its fruit every month without fail. Because it's His goodness shown. An abundant supply of every good and perfect gift and provision forever. And the leaves of it. We're not even talking fruit anymore. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Even the very promise of that fruit and the blessing of it is for the healing of the nations that we would go and say there is a tree and there is access to it. And he will provide all of our needs in Christ Jesus. Here it is. We're not waiting for that last day for those leaves to heal us. Those are ours now in Christ. Those leaves are victory. In such a more full and awesome way than the palms waved on Palm Sunday. That resolve and crucify him cries later that week. No leaves of victory. Christ is overcome and is victorious. Palms of victory and crowns of glory that we will wear, as the Lord in that tree has worked goodness and glory for His people that we ought to be very glad about now. His provision. Here is that which has been provided for the blessing and an enjoyment of a people who lived in a broken land and never knew lack. But now in that day, we'll only know abundance, forever abundance, and enjoyment, and blessing, and dwelling in all that that land will provide. And yet, how are we to know that blessing? Because we can't just say, young people, well, I had water put on my head, and therefore it's mine, or I've heard of eternal life since I was that must be mine. No, we have to take it. Adam and Eve sin and they take it. And in being new, we are to take and eat, to partake in Christ, to take unto ourselves the blessing provided by way of the life that he has given, by way of the sacrifice that he has offered, so that even as we just sang, that he would feed us till we want no more. Which is why he says in John 6, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. Gift of God and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. And if anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Here is the fruit of Christ given for you. In goodness now, in a never-ending abundance then, have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? Not taking from him that which he says is not yours, but taking that which he has freely offered you in Christ. For there is the river of life, and there is the tree of life, and there is the throne of life. Because in the beginning, there was a fight about a throne, wasn't there? And you say, well, you don't read that in Genesis 3, right? That's exactly what you read in Genesis 3. Did God really say to you? Do you really have to submit yourself to him? Do you really not know better? It's always been a battle over the throne. That's why Satan was cast out of heaven. It's always been a battle about the throne. And there is only one who sits on the throne. And yet in giving their allegiance to the serpent rather than to the son comes curse of every kind. It leads to death. Genesis 3, And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you, broken. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life, broken. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, broken. And you shall eat the plants of the field, which in themselves are broken. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, broken. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust and to dust you return. Fight for the throne. But the man of the dirt continues to fight against the one who is on the throne. And yet, what is the promise here in verse 3? No longer will there be anything accursed. Not any broken land, not any broken person, not any broken circumstance, no brokenness, no curse whatsoever. No competition for the throne, not from us, not from anybody. But the throne of, the, of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And that was the hope of the mother promise. This fight for this throne is going to come to a head. And the seed of the woman is going to crush the seed of the serpent. And he shall reign. That's the promise. And so after that promise, what does Adam do? Well, he calls his wife's name Eve, Genesis 3.20. Hear it, what a name. We're talking about a name. Here's another one, Eve, why? Because she was the mother of all living. He's not sitting there saying the mother of all that is broken, all that is cursed, all that is death. No, you will bring life. You will be faithful to your promise. You will make a way to fix that which is broken. And he does it in verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them. This is what I will do to provide for your brokenness. This is what I can do because I reign, because I rule, because my plan always wins the day. That we would be clothed in Christ of the Lamb and be there too. Revelation three twenty one: to the one who conquers, I will grant with him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my Father on his throne. That's ours. That's ours in Christ. There is the throne of life. There is the one that we are obedient to now knowing that that's our place. That's our citizenship. That's our inheritance. And his servants will worship him. They will worship him. We will come to the throne and we will bow before it with all of the elders and all of the saints. And we will worship and we will bow and we will serve always. In the joy of what in verse 4? They will see his face. Moses, no one sees my face and lives. They will see my face. They will have the fullness of the promise of the ironic blessing and fullness of joy and experience. They will see me. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace. That will be yours always. Beloved, we are God's children now, First John 3 verse 2, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know, we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. We will see him on his throne. We will see him in his glory, in his majesty, in his wonder, in his might, in his love, in his justice. We will see all of it. And how can that happen? (laughs) Only if his name is on our forehead. And that's the struggle in the book of Revelation, is it not? Because here are those with the mark of the beast on their forehead, the mark of brokenness, the mark of man. No, no, no. What is to be on our forehead? as those who have been made a kingdom and priests to reign with him on the throne. Exodus 28, you shall make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it like the engraving of a signet, holy to the Lord, and you shall fasten it on the turban by a cord of blue, and it shall be on the front of the turban, it shall be on Aaron's forehead. The one thing he sees, this is my identity as I look even upon this small bit of your glory, holy to the Lord. And Aaron shall bear any guilt from the holy things that the people of Israel consecrated as their holy gifts. It shall regularly be on his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. And what he's saying is in this place and before this throne, the whole of this redeemed and restored people who have been made new will offer the sacrifice of a priest, not in bloody sacrifice, but as a kingdom of priests to reign and to rule and to serve the Son. That that new Jerusalem Would be a place where every act is one in submission to the throne, glad submission, never ending submission in perfect service to an Almighty God, which will always be rendered, no longer in brokenness or in darkness or in curse, but there where is present the light of life always. And that in the last place, look again at verse 5. Because God is light. And it's his first creative act. Let there be light. And there was. God speaks light into the existence of the creation. And God saw that the light was good. And so he separated the light from the darkness. And he called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, day one, the first day. And so there's more to be accomplished then. But then there was darkness yet, and it came to bear in sin and death. And so for God to recreate all things and to make all things new, He does this day one. And there aren't any more days. He's done all the work, and all there is day one is light and joy and peace and wonder and happiness forever forever. Just one day, verse 5, and night will be no more. Everlasting day. Matthew 6, the eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And he says, I have sent Christ to remove that darkness. You are no longer darkness, you are light in the Lord, walk as children of light. Verse, Ephesians 5, 8 and 9, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord, walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, which says what? Everything will be good and right and true. And they will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. Look ahead, Bibles open to verses 23 through 27 of chapter 21. He is our light. He will be our light. And they will reign forever and ever. Can you imagine how little that we speak this to our kids? As though we're, we're needing to just take shots from the world, as though there is no victory for us or no hope for us. Only persecution and never goodness. Only winter and never spring. They will reign forever and ever. He is reigning now. We together will reign forever and ever. Is that our song? Is that our confidence? That in this broken land that they're going to be able to look at Brooklyn, that we're going to be able to look at the children of this church and the middle-aged members of our church and the older ones who are almost ready to go to glory and say, we will reign. That we have hope. That no matter what is going on, we know this God in heaven and what he is preparing for us. That is, if we are found in Christ, not having a righteousness of our own. Is that our song? And that becomes the song of the book of Revelation. Revelation 5, 9, and 10. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. New heavens, new earth. But we are heirs to a glorious inheritance now. Prince and princesses of the King." Is it our song? Do we believe that? Revelation 5, 12 and 13, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Do we believe it? Is he worthy? Is he worthy enough to suffer for and to be persecuted for and to live a life of faithfulness for and to insist on these things of our children even amongst the mockery of the world? Because we know who the king is and we know who the river is and we know who the tree is and we know in whom our blessing is found and our healing is found and because we know whose throne we bow before And because we know and long for the light that we will enter into. Because that day is coming soon. And I say this in a rather impassioned way, certainly because that's a bit of how my personality tends. But because if you're hearing this word, it means that day will come. It is our hope. And when that day comes, there will be separation. There will be no unclean thing there. There will be no darkness there. There will be no sin, no unredeemed sinner there. No, there are trumpets that will be blown. There is prophecy that will be fulfilled. And what should be ringing forth from our voices? This from Revelation eleven fifteen. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, "The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever." This, brothers and sisters, is the hope we share with children who have great promises this is what he says he will do. What he is doing, what he will do. Even in dark days, even in broken days, even where things seem so upside down and so messed up that we wonder and we just want to keep shouting Maranatha, Maranatha, and we may. But he will reign and he is worthy. Not just then, but now. And so share it. Keep it before your children. May Brooklyn hear it always. The wonder of God's word, his work, his promise. That they would know our direction. That they would know where we are marching. That we are marching towards Zion. That we are headed to that celestial city. And we want you to come. That he says, come. And the bridegroom says, come. And so he calls you in repentance and faith to this river, to this tree, to this throne, to this life, that you would believe it and never die, but live. We share truth and hope of a promise that this broken land is going to be restored. May we believe it, continuing to labor even now in the grace he provides of repairing and restoring the places in which we are found, preserving them as far as we are able, even while we are directed in longing for the day of a complete and forever restoration where that broken land will be restored. Amen. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. And Lord, I know that this is a vista from Genesis to Revelation that is large and big and profound and glorious. And yet, Father, at the end of all these things is still a very simple message. That, Lord, we are broken, and we live amongst the people who are broken, and we live in a broken land. And we need to be forgiven of all of that brokenness, of all of that sin, and made right with you. As those who are made new creations now, and look forward to a day where we'll be glorified, where all things will be made new. And death and sorrow will be no more, and we shall reign with one who is worthy. Because you are. Father, you are worthy. Lord Jesus, you are worthy. Holy Spirit, you are worthy of all of our praise and adoration and glory. And so when we are tempted to set that aside for the things of this world, for the bitterness of our own heart, for our own rage and envy, for our own desire to be on that throne, Father, help our unbelief, forgive our sin. And Father, for those outside of that kingdom at this moment, living for sin and Satan and self. Lord, use this word that they might hear come. Come to Jesus Christ and be washed. Come to Jesus lo- to Jesus Christ and never thirst again. Come to Jesus Christ and eat and live. Come to Christ and find healing in his wings. Come to Jesus and bow before his throne in all submission and humility to the one who is to be king and Lord of our life. May we come and bow before you who is all light and no darkness that you would illuminate our hearts and show us our sin and enter in and be fully born in us. And so Lord, change us heal us, restore us, even in our longing for that day where all those tears are wiped away and death is no more. And so, Father, we long to walk on those streets that are golden, to walk in that garden, to see that river, Lord, to be with you. And so we do pray, come quickly. But until then, Father, help us to walk towards Zion in the fullness of the hope of the promise at this broken land, that all broken things will be made new and restored. Father, hear us. Work that in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.